Welcome to Collector's Corner, the premier NFT art podcast. We help collectors gain and maintain their edge, all while appreciating amazing art. We're excited to help you in your collecting journey. Let's dive in. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Collector's Corner. We are doing a deep dive today on ringers. I am Aston Cloud. I'm joined by my co-host, Jared. Uh, the eight nap fund how are you doing today jared doing well we just came off of our first spaces so i'm all amped up man i'm I'm feeling good i feel the momentum of collector's corner picking up and come hell or high water this thing is going to be a, a brand name in everybody's gen art collection here pretty soon that's right that's right and the reason is the passion and the energy you were bringing and the fact that we can't stop thinking about gen art I think uh, I, I we strongly believe other folks will feel the same way uh, over time, and we'll be doing some episodes talking about why. But that is not why we're here today. Before we dive into all the details, Jared, as always, I'm going to keep shilling your fund until you are a brand name. Jared is also the founder of the Eight Nap Digital Art Fund, and uh, he is uh, continuing to grow that and build it. So, uh, if anybody is interested in that, reach out to him. Yeah, let's let's uh let's go ahead and dive in because I've been really excited about this one. We are we are squarely in blue chip territory. So today we are going to be talking about Ringers by Dmitry Cherniak. So I'm gonna go ahead and share our DECA gallery here. And uh, before diving into it, just kind of our our normal disclaimers. I do not own any items from this collection. I believe you do not either. Is that correct, Jared? Sadly, I do not. I am a fanboy to the nth degree, and I do not have any yet. Big, capitalized, bolded, underlined yet. 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 This is the goal. It is great to have goals. And with every episode, we are going to first talk a little bit of a background on the episode, then we're going to go into why we chose this collection. Then we're going to dive into the collection and show you what the nuances that lead to variations and outputs and how those may or may not drive price differences. And at the end, we talk about some of our favorite pieces and what we would buy. And we'll have timestamps in the show notes for all those, as well as uh, items linked to everything that we talk about. And as always, these are really best viewed on YouTube. We think this is awesome art. You should really take a look at it. We know that not everybody can watch while they listen. So we have created a DECA gallery, which is a DECA.art slash collectors underscore corner. And that will also be in the show notes. That's what we're showing on the screen. And you can follow along there or go back and look at it as a summary, as a standalone. And finally, everybody, please, if you like this, if you like our content, like, comment, uh, subscribe on YouTube, your favorite podcasting, leave a review and reach out to us. We want to hear from you. We want to keep getting better and keep improving our ability to help you navigate this crazy NFT, crazy awesome NFT gen art world. So with all those out of the way, let's jump in. Ringers by Dmitry Cherniak. Jared, what is your overall sentiment on this collection? My overall sentiment is I'm a fanboy. I absolutely love it. I think there's something beautiful in the simplicity, the shapes, just the the geometric outputs. Uh, I love it. Full disclosure, I mean, it's an expensive entry point for just about anybody these days with a right now 51 ETH floor. So uh, it it is expensive. It is um, a tough entry point, but I love the art. I love the artist. I think that the outputs are beautiful in their simplicity. So it's it's absolutely an amazing. I love it. I, I can't speak highly enough about it. I'll just come out the the I'll come out firing shots right away. But to all those little Fidenza fanboys, I like ringers more than Fidenza. And I know that's probably a uh, controversial statement. I know, but I I really do believe uh, in this art. So take that with a grain of salt as we as we go through. I think it's beautiful, and it is. And it's no disrespect to Fidenza. I just think that uh, Ringers is is amazing. That that is a that is a bold statement, but I think it's one that some people also, you not just you, feel that way. And I think that it speaks to the quality of this project and also the the historic nature of it. So uh, for me, this is a top notch collection. And this, from what I can tell. I was not really paying attention at the time, but this is the one that really kind of blew up art blocks when people started really realizing what was there. And it is solidly cemented as a blue chip. And as we go through it, you'll see why. 
So let's go ahead and jump in. So we're now in our DECA gallery here. Just a little bit of background. The collection was released on January 31st, 2021. And it was an Artblocks curated collection size of 1,000. And there are 28% unique holders. I'm going to highlight that because the last few episodes where we talked about archetype, we talked about memories of Chi Lin, we talked about anti-cyclone. The unique holder count was closer to 50%. This one's at 28%. Well, why? So part of the reason is because people who were paying attention saw the outputs here and were like, whoa. And uh, a lot of people went really hard. A lot of people own a lot of these. And you know that's often spoken in a negative way. And it can be if people are hoarding and they might dump their supply onto the market. But in this case, I actually think it was quite positive because it showed the reaction that people had to this. And uh, you know, you, you'll again see why, but this this is a quite an interesting project. But before diving into why we chose this collection, we're gonna do a little uh, background and uh, of the artist and the history of the collection. I, I went deep this time, Jared. I'm super interested in Dimitri. So I, I'm gonna keep it short and sweet and put a lot of the content that I read that I think is interesting for people who want to dive deeper into the show notes. But before I hop in, anything in particular you want to highlight about Dimitri or his techniques or anything like that? Nothing particularly. I just, my respect for him, and I'm sure you'll unveil this, is he's he's a brilliant mind artistically, entrepreneurially. I mean, the dude is is very um, incredible as a, as a, as a mind. And, and that's something that has a, a deep resonance with me. Uh, he's creative, intuitive, and executes really well. I mean, if you follow him and, and follow his career, it's been impressive to say the least. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And again, if, if you're not as interested in this part, you can look at the timestamps in the show notes and skip ahead to other parts. We'll have that set up for you. So Dimitri Cherniak. Dimitri uh, has actually, there's a bunch of information about him out there. And I thought it would be interesting to talk about him a bit chronologically. So the guy is crazy smart. And uh, if you listen, he has a podcast with The Proof Collective that aired sometime last year. We'll have that in the show notes. But he talks about how he seems like an incredibly smart computer scientist. And when he was earlier in his career, he really took it upon himself to take various challenges that were difficult. You know, he wasn't just working on problems that were easy and churning them out. He wanted the tough problems. And that kind of technical expertise, I think, has really been applied to his work. And he talks about in that podcast how he was living in Oakland at the time. And I did I did a little sleuthing. So Dimitri was actually in Y Combinator. And he his idea back then with his co-founder was to create a platform where you could tip journalists directly, which it sounds like was a, a very early idea that ended up turning into essentially Substack right now, which is very much within the crypto ethos. And they were focusing on Bitcoin. So he's been knowledgeable about this world for quite some time. And I don't know exactly when, but they pivoted and uh, their company does, it does like some merchant services technology, essentially. I think it has to do with merchant char chargebacks. We'll put that in the show notes. But he mentions in that Proof podcast that he really got started with generative art because he was taking a class and he started creating some ASCII art. And there was a gallery in Oakland where somebody he met, I think he met the owner of the gallery and they asked him if he wanted to put some work, artwork up. And so I'm going to change on the screen here to his first work, which was a Taylor Swift ASCII art. It's at DimitriCherniak.com. And it's actually crazy good. I, have you seen these before, Jared? Yeah, you shared the link with me. And I agree with you. It's like not a huge T-Swift fan, but there's something amazing in the, the beauty of the simplicity of what he did here. I agree with you. Right. And I actually don't know if it's generative. It, it might have been. Because one of the things that Dimitri talks about is how he says, automation is my artistic medium. That's a quote from him. And that's like a really interesting principle to go by. And so... Let's let's move forward. I don't remember exactly when that was, but in 2019, I found what may be some of his first, uh, well, not his first, but another project he had with Art X Code uh, was featuring him and Tyler Hobbs. Now, I don't think any of these are actually on the blockchain, 
but you can check out some of the stuff that he did. And right here on the left on the screen, so uh, this is on rxcode.io, you see a figure here, an image called Turbulent Figures Step 1 that Dimitri created in February of 2019. And it looks like an early ringer, right? I mean, you can see where the roots of that algorithm came from. So that's pretty cool. And he has a he has a bunch of other interesting work here. And of course, Tyler Hobbs does as well. Again, I don't think these are on the blockchain. I don't think these were ever minted as NFTs or sold as NFTs. So interesting to see some of his old work there that may have been contributing. Other things about Dimitri, he is on the curation board of ArtBlock. So I flipped over on the screen to a Medium article by Druid, who works for ArtBlocks. He's actually a really nice guy. I've met him before. And Dimitri, you can see a picture of him here, and he's on the curation board. You can read through this interview. Uh, a couple select things I wanted to highlight from here uh, to get you a sense of his mindset is that he says he looks for algorithmic diversity as he evaluates projects on the curation board. And he mentions that the addition size should match the algorithm, which is interesting. Uh, just earlier today, we had recorded an episode where we're talking about current events and we talked about QQL, uh, Tyler Hobbs, Dandelion collaboration. Those are the two artists where it is kind of like this more of an, a longer infinite algorithm and the diversity is quite large uh, on purpose. So it's an interesting concept there for people to think about when they consider long form generative art. And it dovetails into a question of what exactly is long term long form generative art. And so there's some really interesting stuff here. And the last thing I want to highlight about Dimitri is he he kind of does a lot of experiments. And so we'll, we'll talk about that. But he has a project called The Eternal Pump. And uh, there's a add-on to that called Rapture, where there were 50 raptures released. But if anybody transfers sells any of them, he's going to release another, well, to make a total of 666. So another 616. And so if they're released within a year. At the year mark, people can sell them freely and they'll only ever be 50. So like he, he has very interesting takes and does things in interesting ways here. And sorry, one, one last thing. I know I nerded out on this, but uh, are you familiar with Dead Ringers, Jared? I am. So Dead Ringers, and actually I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull that up on the screen here as I talk here, but Dead Ringers is kind of a variation on Ringers that Dimitri did. And he released this uh, edition of it. And uh, I think there are something like 20,000 of them. Anybody could uh, anybody could uh, go ahead and uh, mint one of these. And you can still get them. They're very cheap. I think they're $80 unsigned. But apparently, he took each of these images as, as their own NFT, and he sent them to a random wallet. And so there are now like 40 or so of these. Uh, let's see, five, one, two, three, four, five, six. So 30 of these just sitting in random wallets that are unique NFTs and who knows when they'll be discovered. Many of those wallets have probably never been created. He literally randomized the public key for those Ethereum wallets and sent it to them. Uh, did you know about that part, Jared? I didn't know about that. Hence, that makes the dead ringer comment actually even more crazy. That's insane. Yeah. So like treasure hunting. Exactly. So, you know, I, I don't know where they went, but if you create a new wallet, you just check open, and see who knows. You, you may have a dead ringer sitting there, which would be worth... Quite a lot, I would guess, <laughs> given how much ringers are worth. So won't belabor the background there too much more, but Dimitri's super interesting. And let's let's talk a little bit more about what we're here to talk about, ringers. So ringers is a JavaScript, a P5.js, for those who are coding. And uh, really, the concept here is simple. It, there's apparently an almost infinite ways to wrap a string around a peg. And uh, that is what this algorithm does. So let's go ahead and, and dive into the collection. I'm just going to quickly introduce our framework for why we, how we think about collections in general and which collections we should talk about. And then since I've been talking forever, I'm going to hand it over to Jared to sort of put ringers through our evaluation framework. So when we think about collections to discuss, which we really are asking ourselves, which collections could stand the test of time and truly become those grail collections for five, 10, 20 years down. I'll spoiler alert, this is one of them. But the things we look at are number one, aesthetics and visuals. Uh, two, the artists themselves. Three, the holders, who are the people who hold these things. Four, the sentiment behind the collection. 
five, the breadth of the collection, uh, which is unique to long-form generative art, and six, the historical significance of this collection, and then finally, what the price action tells us. So let's jump into number one, aesthetics and visuals. Jared, I'll hand this over to you. What are your thoughts? And and while I do that for those on video, I'm going to hop over to archipelago.art so you can uh, just kind of scroll through the active sales right now so you can get a sense of the different visuals. Yeah, from the the aesthetics perspective, I think it is on the surface very simple with the pegs and then the the wire running around the pegs. I think it becomes beautifully complex when the outputs start uh, playing around with different fill colors, peg types, and peg colors. So aesthetically, it's incredible to me. And I hate to just be gushing over the love for this project, but I think the the balance between eggs wiring fill it's it just it's it's that uh, it's a beautiful balance of minimalism and aesthetics in my opinion. It, it just it hits differently for something being so simple in its general appearance. It's oddly complex and it, it just hits differently. So I'm very much uh, a fan of these and you know my my goal as a collector is to have what I call a red. Stack. So I want to have a red peg, a red fill, and a red background. So I think it's going to be a lifelong journey, hopefully. But you know, I think that you know we always talk about nuances in collecting. You know, the this collection definitely provides you with the opportunity to to have those those collecting opportunities. Yeah, uh, really well said. I love the simplicity of it and how that really really results in so many unique outputs. And I love how a lot of these things, because they're circles, they start looking like eyes and you start seeing emergent shapes and properties, which is, of course, some of the magic and beauty of generative art. So that's a good dovetail into collection breadth. How do you feel about the breadth of this collection? And by breadth, for those who are listening for the first time, we mean, you know, these, the greatest long-form generative art collections all all the pieces feel unique, but you can tell that they're still unified as part of the collection. So uh, what are your thoughts on ringers from that standpoint, Jared? You know, I hate to sound like a broken record, but I think the breadth is perfectly executed with a, a thousand pieces. Um, you know, I've, I've said that about Emily. I said that about Mapon. Uh, this one seems to have enough variance amongst it, uh, whether it's a good layout or a good distribution of peg counts or colors or peg colors, I mean, the breadth of the collection and the outputs, very rarely, I've seen one or two where I'm like, oh, maybe I've seen that before, but I think the distribution is is very well executed and the algorithm did its what was necessary to create enough intrigue to, to captivate the collector and the observer. 100%. I completely agree with you. So let's move on to the third point, the artist. I just talked about Dimitri for a while. He is clearly a very, very good artist. And the only thing that I will add to what I said earlier is that he does write by his collectors. And we'll talk about the eternal pump towards the end, but that's a great example of that. Uh, Charismatic, engages with his community, clearly very, very good at what he does. Uh, and so that he's a top artist. Let's, let's move on to Holder's. I can knock this one out real fast. It's it's the best. The, the top influencers, the top artists, everybody wants ringers or has one already. I believe DC Investor has a ton of these. Kate from Artblocks has a ton of these. Really big name collectors uh, and influential people in the space. A- anybody else you want to highlight that I might have missed? I'm sure Flamingo has a ton. And JDH, who's, I mean, Kate's brother, has a tremendous amount. She she brought him onto it. He touched on that in the Proof podcast. And then, you know, the other one, again, I sound as a fanboy, but, you know, Curated's been picking these up. I think you're scrolling by uh, a couple. And that reminded me of it. They bought one with a blue background. You know, very rare pieces, one of 11 type. Not only the collectors, but the funds are, are picking them up and doing it very, very strategically. The floors and supply on this is so crazy thin that when you see something, you know, you got to go get it. And a lot of these are happening off market. You can track down the big collectors, but it's yeah, absolutely it's top tier. Absolutely. And the fifth point that we talked about is the sentiment. And it, it we we won't blame the point. It's considered top tier and it has been for a long time. And that, that really hasn't changed, I would say, even from the start. 
And because of that, I'll, I'll dovetail into the sixth thing that we look at for collections, which is historic significance. And this is one where I think because it really, in my opinion, there was art blocks before ringers and there's art blocks after ringers. And to me, it sounds like this is really one of the things that took art blocks to the next level. And because of that, I think it will hold historic significance. And I really expect, although I haven't seen too many yet, I expect other collections will try to do variations of this algorithm with the strings on the peg. There probably have been some already, just none that I'm aware of at the moment. Any thoughts on the historic significance here, Jared? I don't think you and I have talked about that one too much. Any, if you have any, uh, anything to add to what I said? Nothing to add. I mean, it's going to be historically significant. You can already see the, the sentiment in, in the rallying of collectors behind it. I mean, it, it's, it, it's well on its way. And I mean, that kind of segues into the next one, like market trends as you bring it up. Yep. Pulling up the markets. Uh, you, you want to talk about just a quick analysis of what we're seeing in the numbers here as we are in article.io for those listening. What I would say is toggle that over to log scale on the daily selling price because it's a, it's one of the only ways to to look at that on the lower right. I think that you know to me as a if you are a flipper, this is a really really hard project to to flip in the sense that the floor is incredibly thin, the sales are very infrequent, and you can see it by what's on screen right now. There's a pretty good I'll call it resistance and support right now at about a hundred thousand dollars in USD terms. And I hate to say it, but it's it's a really top tier. And so not everybody's getting into into it. And unless you get some sort of crazy deal with somebody trying to liquidate it, the 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 market is I in my opinion, largely collector oriented. It's somebody who's willing to put a big chunk of change into it and they're gonna hold it for a period of time because you can see the appreciation. It's just um, you know, don't expect a five X year money. You know, over the course of three months, like some other expectations, it, it's definitely in that blue chip buy and hold category, in my opinion. And if you scroll down a little bit, you know, that market cap versus cost basis, again, it's just something that I always like to look at. You're, you're nearing that point where it had its meteoric rise, its cost uh, for entry point has started to, to normalize. And I think it's um, it's an incredible entry point if you can find the right piece and you have the liquidity for it. Uh, the other thing is, you know, off to the right, the, the chart next to it is the, the distribution. You'll see here that because it is a very expensive piece, the the floor is very thin. You know, once you get past five or six fives, you know, the price escalates quickly. Obviously people fill in the floor behind it, but the reality is, is um, it's slim pickings for listings. And if you're really focused on this, I would recommend hunting down the collector and the pieces that you want strategically because those are, it's definitely the play. Yeah, absolutely. And for those who are seeing this for the first time, I mean, everything that you want to see that suggests that this collection is really popular and will stay so you're seeing here, which is an increasing daily selling price, decreasing daily volumes. And as Jared mentioned, you see a a floor price uh, in this case, which is around $100,000. And I want to make a quick note here. You might say, well, okay, I'll never be able to afford that. I think that some interesting stuff will come down the pipeline with NFTs between fractionalizing them or being able to trade them in synthetic ways. Uh, I think that the way that the cryptocurrency and blockchain space is, is people find ways to, you know, in part speculate, but also make these markets more efficient. So we'll see. I mean, I, I don't have any plans of buying a ringer unless something like that happens. Uh, and who knows what happens if prices might drop. But for people who might feel priced out, I think it's still worth taking a look at this and seeing what you might like because who knows what happens in the future. And then also because I think that we will see some folks utilizing similar algorithms. And if you see one you like, you can kind of see where it came from and, and decide which style is more to your liking. So that is what our reasons for choosing this collection. And uh, now we're going to hop through the different categories that we feel uh, drive either an aesthetic uh, difference or a floor price difference. And we highlight some that are more rare too, and go through the various traits here to help you understand what, what these traits do in terms of the outputs and what you might like the best. So background, Jared, you want to tell everybody about background? It's a very simple algorithm in the sense that 
The background pertains to the, the space outside of the string and the pegs. So um, as you can see on screen, you have a white background and a white center. It's a it's pretty much the standard. Of the 1,802 of them have a white background, so 80% of them, nearly 80.2, are, are white. So this is kind of that the standard, so to speak. Right, exactly. White is the standard. And uh, then in, so we're now back on our DECA gallery and you can see the white outputs, which are great. Uh, but then you start seeing the black outputs. So black, there's only 16 of these, quite rare. And it gives you sort of this inverted look, which is super interesting. And we'll, we'll get to the second trait, uh, which is the body color. You can see here on the top row of these four with a black background, they have a white body, whereas some of them don't. And I, I love these ones without color in the body because it really lets that inverted look come through. It's almost like dark mode for the ringers. Uh, and then there is beige with 47 pieces, which is actually, I, I like this. It's very subtle. And I think that beige plays quite well with the, the different body colors. Ironically, beige is probably the least collected, honestly. I think of all the, even though it's one of the more rare backgrounds, it doesn't seem to carry as, uh, I'll call it a premium, as commensurate to its rarity. So it's an interesting observation. I agree. I agree. Blue, which is by far my favorite, uh, perhaps yours as well, Jared, if I recall. By far my favorite. Yeah. And, and, you know, there, there's, there are many of the, well, there are not many blues. There are only 11, uh, but there are many of these in general. I wanted to show you all the colors so you, should, you could get an idea of the breadth because, you know, part of the challenge with ringers is you go on open sea or these other marketplaces and you see what's uh, listed low to high. You don't see these that often, <laughs> which is kind of funny, or, I mean, I guess a good problem to have. Uh, and I, you know, I really like these yellows, 68 yellows that we're showing on the screen now as well. So, you know, hop over, filter by these colors, take a look. And I think you'll, you'll really start seeing why uh, it's so popular, especially with these colors. They're just, they're just fun. You know, you, you want to collect them. And uh, one thing that I should note, uh, we try to do in this gallery, uh, Dimitri mentions that he didn't think ringers would get this expensive uh, or not even close. So he actually made them to be collected in sets, like two by twos and grids of three by threes, et cetera. And so, you know, they work great as sets. And the great thing about DECA is I can pretend, well, I don't have to pretend I don't own any of these, but I can create different uh, galleries with them. So it's a lot of fun to do that. Even if you can't afford them, and you know, I get it. Almost nobody can. Just going and making these sets is super fun. And then you get to the green background with only two of them. One of which is actually currently for, for sale. I mean, if you could spare almost 2 million bucks, but you know, it's interesting that there is one available at this point. So <laughs> just, kind of just, just 2 million bucks. Yes. Uh, but there's only two and that, that is actually ultra rare, ultra rare. Uh, although I don't think those would be probably the highest selling pieces, but let, let's take a look at the price section. Uh, as you mentioned, the, the green here has currently the highest premium. It's the most rare there at 1,234 ETH is the floor right now, followed by red, currently at a 600 ether floor. Uh, sorry, followed by blue and then red. Then black, interestingly, is lower floor with only 16 pieces compared to, say, the 54 pieces in red and yellow and uh, the beige. That yellow is at 175 ether floor, beige at 170, and white, the standard, at 51. You know, with these types of collections, it's hard to say, uh, you know, does a red hold a higher value than a yellow? I think it's going to depend on the individual piece. But the way that I think about it is yellow, black, red, blue all hold a significant premium. Green is even more so because there's only two. Beige is maybe a tier below that. And then you have the whites. That seems to be how the market has shaken out and what the crowd thinks. Would you uh, disagree with that or agree? Anything you would modify? 100% agree. Just because there's so little listed. I mean, the one red background that's listed also has a red peg. So, you know, it's a, it's a, I'll call it a rarity within the rarity. So, you know, it, it's just, it, it's hard to make the analytics off of that. I think you have to go off of historical stuff and it's a good time to plug. Cat has a, a beautiful and absolutely stunning dune uh, on ringers. So if you are in the market and you want to go look at not only like the, the rarity, but the statistics and the, the sales history of it, 
I mean, this is an absolute must for anybody on the hunt to either find the holders of stuff and or, you know, the, the recent sales. Because unfortunately, listings is not necessarily indicative of current prices. So this is a, a wonderful tool that, again, if you're in the market, yeah. hats off to Cat. This is beautifully designed. Absolutely. We, we will link to this uh, Dune Analytics page that uh, at Cat has uh, created, who has uh, created some really great analytics pages there. Okay, so that is uh, background, body. I alluded to this. Body is the color within the, I guess, you know, you can think of the strings on a peg, the strings loop around, they create a, create a closed loop, and then the body is the color within that. Again, this creates quite a, a, quite a price premium based on the different colors. And uh, so we'll, we'll take a look at that. But here on the screen, we're back on Deca.art. You can see that they, we have some black backgrounds, some uh, red backgrounds, some yellow backgrounds, and some white backgrounds as well, which are more for those that have, I'm sorry, white body colors, red body colors and all that. And yeah, Jared, do, do you have any favorites here in terms of body color? I mean, I'm biased towards the red because I want to have a red stack. I do find it interesting that, you know, the there is no beige or green body. So the algorithm either didn't program it in or uh, the output never was created. So there starts to see some color consistencies, but, you know, there's a green peg and green background, but not a green body. So it's a really interesting uh, how the, the body color in particular gets a little bit more limited once you get outside of the black and white. The black and white account for 922 of the thousand. So just to give you some some intrigue into how rare you get when you get to the yellow, red, and blue. It's crazy. Right. And actually, I'm going to hop over to article for those listening only. And uh, we can take a look at those frequencies and some of the prices for body color. So blue and red body color, there are six blues and 18 reds. Uh, none of those are for sale. And then the yellow body color, there are 54 of those. And the floor for that is 99, so so 2x. And so th these are ultra rare, again, these different colors, which make them very, very difficult to, uh, to, to get your hands on in general. So if you see any of these, uh, just and you think they're a reasonable price, just grab them. Uh, they will not be on the market for very long. And the chances are you won't see any of them. But as you can look through, you can see how cool these are. Oh man, like look at this one, 333. I mean, this is so cool. Uh, love it. Love it. Uh, all right. So let, let's move on. Uh, extra color. You want to tell folks about extra color, Jared? Yeah. Extra color really pertains to the, the extra peg color. So uh, in it, uh, what you can see on screen is there is a black black ground, black body, but one of the pegs is blue. The center one, standard colors, one of the pegs is green and then red. So, you know, of, of the extra color, you have red, blue, green, uh, and with varying degrees of rarity. I, I think that if you're looking to, to get something outside of a typical ringer, this is a really interesting red. Uh, red is an interesting entry point because there's 123 of them. You know they they aren't uh, there aren't a lot on the market right now, but they do present an opportunity to to get into I'll call it one of the more rare ringers with um, with having a little bit higher frequency. As of today, it's not necessarily a good entry point or a good good uh, good point, but they're usually selling around two x the floor. So you know a really intriguing entry point, maybe even a little bit less if you can if you can hunt it down, but. I just right. think it's a, that little details in the algorithm where it shows a little pop of color where maybe you didn't expect it. You know, the standard colorings are black, white, and yellow. So on most ringers, obviously the ones on screen, you don't always have the yellow, but the standard algorithm mostly has a, a yellow as the accent color. So so these, these pegs would supplement that. Yes, exactly. And the black background ringers are the only ones that do not have a yellow peg. All the other ones have at least one, or I think exactly one yellow peg. And so uh, to your point, this is a fun little thing to collect against. I, I don't think we're going to see a lot in the data here uh, beyond, you know, it seems like the, uh, well, none of the blues are for sale. One of the greens is for sale. And uh, I, I'm not sure how many of the reds, but 
Yeah, it's it's hard to say exactly what the price premium is, except that there is one that exists for precisely the reason that you articulated, Jared. That if you want something different and unique, this this is uh, one relatively easy way to do it with the ringers. So let's move out to peg layout. So peg layout, there's really three different types of layouts. So the first one is called symmetric. So if you're looking on the screen here, again, we're on our Deca.art gallery for this episode. On the left here, we have one that's a three by three. So you can't always see the pegs, but you can imagine these pegs on the right side of this NFT are, they're there, they're just filled in by the, the body color of this piece. And then on the right there, we have a four by four. So these are symmetric grids that are laid out and we have a five by five. And on the bottom right here with this yellow background is a six by six. There's actually only three of these in the whole collection. Then there's another layout that's called a tiled peg. So the one on the left here, and for those of you listening, this is number 186. So take a look at this one. So this one is a three comma two. And what that means is the first column has three pegs, the second column has two, and then the third one has three again. So that's the pattern. And then the one on the right, which is number 61, has uh, is a two comma three. So that, that's what that refers to. And all of these really allow you to get some interesting shapes and different shapes based on how the string wraps around and the body color is filled in, uh, which leads us to the recursive peg layout, which is a, a lot more chaotic and random, as you can see here. But some of the coolest outputs end up having this recursive peg layout and some of the ones that, that I found most intriguing. Have you found yourself being drawn to any particular of these three categories of peg layouts, j Yeah, Yeah, I think the, the grids that are, the grids with symmetric outputs are the ones I find myself to. So whether it's a three by three, four by four, or five by five, and then with the, the wrapping coming in a very predictable and, and symmetrical fashion, you'll see it in my top three, is where I find myself being drawn to is the, the, the more simple grids with, uh, with symmetry. I, I love the outputs on recursive. It's also just, it's chaotic and it reminds me of, uh, you know, those, like, what do you see in these? It, you, you had the quote earlier, but uh, that hold up a piece of paper and it's like, what do you see here? I mean, it's, it's, it's a little too chaotic for me, but I do love it. I do love the output. That's right, the Roshark test. And we won't hop over to the article for this one. Taking a look at the data, it doesn't seem like the price premium is really driven by this layout. It's more about the background color and body color and what sort of emerges based on the, that's where the layout can have an impact, but what kind of an image, what kind of, what, what do you see in your Roshark test? That's what emerges from that. And so, but we did want to highlight this because it's an interesting view on the algorithm and how it generates these outputs. And you may find yourself drawn to one or the other uh, in which case, you know, you should buy it if it's near the floor because there's not a significant price difference or price premium for those. Peg style. This is one of your favorites, j Paws. You want to take it away? Yeah, I, I really do love this. So as much as I uh, said I love order in the last statement, I'm going to completely contradict myself. The, the peg style, the bullseye, it's very binary in the sense that you either have a solid peg or the bullseye peg, and the bullseyes are just absolutely stunning it actually introduces a little bit of chaos uh, amongst it it doesn't have to be in in these completely crazy pieces there's some that are simple but i just think it's a it's a funky nuanced stylistic twist on the um on the pegs and that being said it's really rare i mean there's only 75 of them so it's a fun variant on on the approach and, and you can start combining it with all kinds of different colors and bodies and rap styles it, it it's really it creates some really wild output yeah it, it is super fun and the fact that there's 75 i think leads it to drive a significant price premium and we can take a look at article and see if there's any true metrics we can give you for a sense of how much they should cost but right now the bullseyes are about two and a half times the floor uh do you have any sense of if that's the standard or it just really depends on the piece and other things like body color and it back. depends on the piece i mean the one that you the one that the floor is pretty it's a simple shape not to be very disrespectful but you know it goes from 135 east on the the bullseye floor to 
2,999. Obviously, that's a, <laughs> but if you look at the last, but if you look at the last sale on it, it was 333 ETH, right? So, I mean, there, there's definitely some collectability to it. Uh, and they are desirable. They're aesthetically one of the bigger variants on, on this algorithm. And I think it, it, it just pops differently. I think it looks really good. I agree. And some things that are what I would call hidden trait that people could collect against uh, here back on our DECA gallery, I've, I noticed that not all bullseyes are made the same. So I just to show folks, I show different of the yellow pegs and how they can have different features here. Sometimes they have more concentric circles. Sometimes they're they're larger. And so that could be interesting for folks to collect against as well, or, or just to notice and enjoy. The last category that I, I'll just run through this real fast is, is size. So essentially, you can see here two of the red background. Some of them just have more of a margin between the uh, the image, the body, and the pegs, and uh, and the barrier to the piece itself. There's only thirty. Was it thirty six? I think thirty five. Yeah, thirty six of the pegs. So of course, those command a significant price premium. Hard to say exactly how much above floor they should be, but as you can imagine, with you know, Dimitri made a lot of little tweaks to make these things collectible, and I think that's a lot of fun. I don't know how many algorithm was supposed to spit out, but thirty six. You have that kind of rarity with a collection that's popular, you're going to see a significant price premium. So let's let's hop over to emergent properties. And you know, one thing I want to say, Jay Paz, is that the more I'm sort of hearing what these artists are saying, this is probably one of the things they enjoy the most about their long form generative artworks is that you get some outputs that remind you of things that, you know, the inkblot Roshark test. And so here we have a couple emergent properties that I've found, but one thing that we've been trying to do and we love, and we started this with memories is we want to hear from, from you all, from our audience. What are some emergent properties that you're seeing? And we'll throw them in the gallery, put your name on there, tweet about you. Uh, we, we want to see what you see in this, but these are just some of the ones that, that we found. And uh, you want to tell everybody about this, this one on the bottom, right? J-Paws, this is a famous one. Well, I will, I will, before I do that, I'll tell you, like the emergent properties, I know we keep pounding on this every single time, but it's because it's one of our deeply rooted passions for gen art is this unintended consequences or unintended outputs. And in this, the bottom right, the goose stringer is by far probably one of the most famous emergent pieces out there. I mean, Starry Nights owns it. We'll see for how long, spent a stupid amount of money on it. And then when you look at it, you can clearly see through the middle, just to the right of the big yellow dot on the left, there is a white piece that looks like a goose's neck and head. And then to the right of that is a yellow beak. I mean, once you see it, it's something you that can't be unseen. And, you know, it's just, it's something so, in my opinion, silly, but at the time, it's also something absolutely brilliant. And I don't know if this is intended, but, um, you know, there, there's... Obviously, there's a yellow fill on it, so it's a little bit rarer. But I mean, statistically, it's not like a crazy green piece or anything. It's just, you know, when you look at it, it's it's stunning. It, it just hits differently, and I love that about the piece. Hundred percent. So, Goose Ringer is number eight seventy nine. I forget what it sold for in the millions. Uh, it was it was a crazy big sale, and uh, this is a recursive grid layout. Uh, J pause. So, as, as we talked about, you oh, can get some very interesting outputs from that recursive grid layout. And I don't know if you did this intentionally, but the one just to the left of the goose ringer it looks like an airplane. I mean, I yeah. think that that's what what's incredible. And by the way, the goose ringer sold for five point six six million dollars. So here's something that you can you know argue you know even is commanding higher than those those greens per se. So I mean, it it, it is a thing, right? That's right. Trust trust your eye, both in terms of the collection, but in terms of the outputs. There, don't only go by rarity. That that's a great point. Trust your eye, man. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but P, you're spot on. And it's something that we talk about all the time. You got to scroll through the collection. You got to see it. Trust your eye because there's the, with Gen Art, some of these outputs, there's just, there's things that are stunning. And just looking at rarity isn't the only thing you can do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's get in your top picks, Jay Paws. What do you got for us here? We'll do your first one. So my first one is number 50. It's one of those, I call it one of one of X's. It's obviously rare with the uh, the black background being one of 16, but it's the only one with the blue dot. I just think uh, 
with the the binary aspect of the the white and black, and then the, I think there's a beautiful shape to the wrapping of the pegs, and then you almost just got this uh, little lonesome peg hanging out on the upper left. It it, it is statistically rare. I also think it's beautiful. Um, so that's why it makes. By the way. It, we both agree like the goose ringer would have been in the grails it's unanimous like that we're trying to do like something outside of the goose ringer because that, that that's in everybody's yes. grill so agreed the, the next one for me is 356 the reason why i chose 356 is exactly what i talked about earlier it is a three by three grid that is perfectly symmetrical about its uh diagonal x axis and you know it, it and, and I mean perfectly symmetrical if you take a divide from the lower left to the upper right. I mean, the, the colors flip perfectly with the black dots. There, there's just some, there's a red dot just like kind of lurking out there in the red background. I didn't, I, I wrote down the number, I can't remember, but how many red backgrounds with red dots exist. But this one just feels uh, incredibly balanced and it, it just has a, a deep resonance with me. Uh, it, I think it's absolutely stunning. And for all that recursive craziness, there's something calm about this when I stare at it. And there, and there are 10 red backgrounds with red dots, uh, red extra colors. Boom. And you. speaking of uh, rare ones, this this one I also was thinking about putting in my top three. So 443 is, I'll call it a one of one of X again. It's a blue background with a uh, yellow body. It's the only one that exists with that combo. Having attended Cal Berkeley, this is, uh, you know, blue and gold. So I got to rep it a little bit, but more than that, it's just, it's beautiful. You, and it's subtle, but you also have a blue dot hanging out there. Uh, the third peg oh, yeah. on the bottom on the right. See, so it, it's just, and that, those are the little nuanced details that I love about this project. Um, it, the yellow body has a form about it that it, it, it even though it's, are reaching amongst it. It has a, a beautiful balance also on here. And I don't know, it's just statistically rare, but at the same time, um, it's aesthetically very engaging. And I love that. Absolutely. The, these are all great. I mean, great variety too in your top three. I love them. I, I'm going to hop over to my top three. The first one is uh, number 52, which I call the squid. It is recursive blue background also has a blue peg, which I didn't even notice here, but uh, it just reminds me of a squid. And I love that emergent property in this one. Uh, the second one that I picked, uh, this one reminds me of a ghost, right? Almost like here's its head at the top. Uh, this is number 571. Uh, I think uh, this looks like a, a symmetric grid. What is this? A five by five grid, yellow background. Uh, also a red extra peg, but honestly, that's not that, that's not why I like it. I like it because I, I think it looks like a ghost. <laughs> I think it's just really fun. And that's, yeah, I, I tend to describe it. Once you see it, man, it, it's definitely a ghost, man. We're coming up on the Halloween, so it's perfect. I know, I know. And uh, my last one was 109 because it's one of those that was just incredibly complex. It's a recursive grid. It has 37 pegs, which is obviously not symmetric has some bullseyes in here, some extra colors. Like it just looked chaotic and, and interesting to me in a collection full of simplicity and symmetry. This one emerged that was quite the opposite and had all these awesome bullseyes. So that's why I went with that one. And uh, yeah, I mean, th there's so many, this was a hard one for me to pick through. Um, and you know, what else is also going to be hard is uh, going into what we would spend 300 ether on if we had 300 ether right now to spend on ringers and uh you know yeah let, let, let's go ahead and jump to that actually before we do that just super fast in terms of undervalued crate categories and traits the only thing that i could think of is what j paul said before that the beige background color seems undervalued relative to rarity there's still a premium there um, but otherwise there's not much other than I would say these, these emergent properties that you see uh, that are fun. And uh, this is pretty common for a collection that's been so popular for so long that it kind of gets picked clean. And it's a good thing that the market does did what it does and making sure that not too many things are undervalued. And so, but this is a collection where I think, you know, anything you have is going to be great because the, the whole thing is just so well done really masterfully. So, uh, Jay Paws, uh, it, we're going to have to go quick this time. I know we, we got a, a hard stop coming up here. So, uh, 300 ETH, what, what do you want? I'm going to answer you with a non-answer. 
I'm I would go to knock off a couple on my my red vertical and do exactly what I recommended for advice and go try to stock something that's not listed. So I try to get a red peg around a uh, hundred ETH and I try to get a red background for for two hundred and and call it a day. And if not, if you're really forcing me into making a decision, I would put in a three hundred ETH wrapped ETH bid on the number seventy seven that's currently listed at three thirty three. Um, it's I just think it's stunning. It's statistically very rare, but you know, with such a limited supply and limited public listings, you know, I'm gonna go. Uh, I'll call it outside yeah. the boundaries on this one. No, that's that's fair. I think that is fair given how few are listed. Only 27 listed at the time of this recording, folks. September 16th. And, you know, I, I was going to say the same thing. I, I would spend it all on this one. This one is so cool. I mean, I, I think it's worth more than six times the floor, personally. To me, it kind of looks like, yeah, the red with the red extra color. It's it, it just hits. It hits in a different way for me. I like the symmetry. I like the black background. I like how that top uh, right peg is a yellow. So number 77 is it for me. And you know, that, that, that's a wrap. Uh, I think Jared and I both really enjoy this collection. This, this is a no brainer blue chip collection, number one or number two coming out of this era of gen art on the blockchain for pretty much everybody. I would say some people might like others more than, but it's really up there in the top three. And so, Jared, uh, I, th- I think we should wrap this one up. Where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Jared, J-A-R-E-D underscore pause, P-O-Z, on Discord as J underscore pause. And being the launching 8NAP, my DMs are open. So please, if you have any interest in diversifying into uh, a fund with generative art focus and a blue chip with a balance of trading, I'm open. DMs are open. Love to chat. Awesome. And I'm at Aston Cloud on Twitter and Discord. We're at collectors underscore XYZ. We have our DECA galleries. We'll have everything up in the show notes. We really appreciate you. You know, we're, we're loving this, getting in the flow, but we want to keep getting better, keep improving. Let us know what you want to hear. Let us know what you like and what you don't like. And, and we'll keep trying to improve to help you in your collecting journey. So with that, everybody, hope you enjoyed this. Please like, comment, subscribe, follow us on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. And uh, yeah, we, we appreciate your support and you taking the time to listen. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning into Collector's Corner. We hope you enjoyed this episode and you found it useful in your collecting journey. Please check out our website, www.collectorscorner.xyz for show notes and digital art galleries related to this episode. You can also follow us on Twitter at collectors underscore xyz if you'd like to help us out please leave us a five-star review on our website or your favorite podcasting platform and or leave some feedback on how we can do better the collector's corner team and guests are not registered investment advisors all views expressed on this podcast are personal opinions and are not specific inducements to make particular investments or investment strategies and should not be relied upon for investment decisions this show is solely for informational and entertainment purposes only before making any financial decisions please consult a professional